we are so thankful for you being here uh, with us this morning. Open up your Bibles today to Genesis chapter 2. And today in America, we celebrate the national holiday of Mother's Day. The creation of Mother's Day was actually a holiday that was originally advocated for by a, a woman named Ann Jarvis, who had cared for soldiers during the Civil War from both sides of the war. And she originally advocated for it to be a day where women would call for peace in the world uh, because with every soldier's death would be the broken heart of a mother. And in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson made a proclamation that on the second Sunday in May be designated as Mother's Day, a day to commemorate and celebrate the role of mothers in the world. And as many of you probably uh, realize that Mother's Day is actually one of the top three holidays for the florist and greeting card industry. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and say, men today, if you have not gotten your mother or your wife, uh, who is a mother, a card, it's probably too late at this point, and uh, I will pray for you and may God have mercy on your soul. So anyway... I will say, uh, probably one of my favorite stories is the story of Kimberly's first Mother's Day as a mom after we had uh, had our little girl, Ella. And, and guys, if you've not been there yet, let me go and coach you up on this. Hey, that's a big one. Okay, that's a big deal. And I was aware, uh, you know, as just this young husband, that that was a big deal. And so I, I went to, um, you know, the place where you get cards, wherever that was, Walmart, pharmacy, wherever. And, and I, I took a lot of time. Like I genuinely, I was in there for probably 20 minutes and I was taking cards down and I would read them. And, and you know, I just didn't quite say what I wanted it to say. And then I'd read another one and all this, you know, it was the, the cards from the husband to the wife on Mother's Day. And then finally, man, I find that one. I mean, it's like this guy, whoever had written it, or this, had taken it from my soul. And I'm like, this is, man, this is the card. This is it, you know. And so I, I, I signed my name in it, and I put a little note in there, which, by the way, if you sign your name, you don't write something in it, guys, you don't get credit for that either, okay? So you need to write a little personal note in there. And so I, I take the card, and I'm so excited because for my wife, the, the card is as important, if not more important, than the gift. I mean, that's the most meaningful thing. And so I, I give her the card, and I'm watching for her response as she's reading it. And I'm genuinely like, I'm, I'm thinking I've hit a home run here. I'm what, is she going to cry, you know? Or is she going to be so overwhelmed by emotion I have to hold her up, you know? Or is she going to like cave into my arms? I'm not sure, you know? And so, but she reads this card and when she's done, she kind of looks up. She said, thanks, thanks so much, babe. And she kind of has this weird look on her face. And it's like totally not what I was expecting. And I'm like, do you not like your card? And she was like, oh yeah, it's very, very sweet, very sweet card. I'm like... I don't understand. Like, why are you not in tears right now? You know, this is, and she said, honey, I'm going to ask you a question. Did you really read the card? Well, yes, I read the card. Like, I went, like 20 minutes, like, I've read, I didn't read your birthday card, but I read this one, you know, like this, was, like this, I'm really like going through the, and then she said, so I think she believed me. She said, did you read the card? I look at it, I read it again. Yes, oh, this is my soul to you, you know, and, and then she says, look up one more time, and, and it's got the front message and the inside message, but right where I sign is the big, happy grandmother's day, you know, right there, and uh, true, true story. We've got that card somewhere, uh, but, that, but that really happened. So I love to tell that story. Uh, but as we say this, you know, it wasn't Woodrow Wilson. It wasn't the card companies that were the first to celebrate mothers. In fact, 
the celebration of mothers and the role and the gift that God has given us in mothers was something that God celebrated in the earliest of humanity. And so I want to invite you to look with me in Genesis chapter 2, and I invite you to stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Word. And if you're not able to stand, that is okay. You feel free to reverence God and His Word from your seat there where you are. So we're going back to the beginning of creation here. And Genesis 2, beginning of verse 21 says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, speaking of Adam, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and his mother. There it is, the first reference to a mother in the Bible. And be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Let's pray this morning. Father, I do, I pray genuinely today. Lord, would you speak to us? God, would you speak to us from your word? God, I pray that you would put your words in my mouth. God, fill me with your strength. Because, Lord, I do pray that, believing, God, that you have something to say to your people today. But, Lord, I also know that on a day like Mother's Day is that this can be a hard day for so many. And, Lord, I just want to take a moment to pray for everyone who's here, for those who are watching or listening online. God, I pray for those who have lost mothers. That today there's not a card to be given, but maybe a tombstone to visit. God, I just I pray in Jesus' name, would you comfort them? God, would you give them comfort in their grief and give them great memories and joyful memories of a mother they've said goodbye to. God, I pray for those mothers this morning whose hearts are overwhelmed with the loss of a child. God, I pray today, Lord, would the God of all comfort be near and lift up that head. God, be with that sweet mama today. And God, I want to pray especially for those ladies who are here this morning who desire to be mothers, but for many different circumstances or not. God, I pray that you would hold them close, that you would comfort their grief. And God, I pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In our text this morning, as we said earlier, we see from the earliest of days that God designed and gifted the world with the role and responsibility of mothers. And that's a key part of his design. You know, the title mother, as given in Genesis chapter 2, is something that has gone virtually unchanged and, and almost entirely understood by all humanity throughout history. Adam and Eve immediately understood what God meant when he referenced mother, and then you fast forward thousands of years later, and Ann Jarvis and Woodrow Wilson in 1914, they knew exactly what a mother was as soon as that was mentioned. Sadly, though, in our day, we are witnessing an attempted destruction of virtually all aspects of God's design for humanity, those things that have been right and true biblically, historically, and even scientifically and medically for thousands of years. And the attempted destruction of the role and definition of a mother is not immune to this cultural attack. You know, on this Mother's Day, 
As I prayed and sought the Lord on what message to bring today, I I felt as though on a day where we celebrate rightly something that is so beautiful inside of God's design, but also recognizing that we're living in a world where this title, something as foundational as a mom, a mother, a mama, is being distorted, that it couldn't go without being said. We couldn't ignore that, that I wasn't being the right pastor to be able to not deal with that today. And so this morning, it's going to be a little bit of a a, a different Mother's Day message. But let me give you some examples just of the attack on the biblical and, and historical affirmed definition of motherhood. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services on October 22, 2022 released an article as an attempt to educate Americans on how to use inclusive and gender-neutral language. In the article, there are two specific examples of how the United States government is attempting to disconnect motherhood from something as foundational as womanhood. The first example shows us that the U.S. government is attempting to disconnect nursing nursing mothers from the female gender. This is what it says. It says the term chest feeding or body feeding can be used alongside breastfeeding to be more inclusive. Non-binary or trans people may not align with the term breastfeeding. But chest feeding will not replace the word breastfeeding. But it should be included as an option when discussing lactation. The second example is an attempt to redefine the unique role that only a woman can give birth to children, saying both pregnant women and pregnant people are acceptable phrases. Neutral terms like pregnant patients, pregnant people, or other wording as applicable are inclusive alternatives. Now, friends, since the beginning of the creation, there has been an understanding that only a woman can give birth to a child and that only a woman can nurse a child. Thus, all mothers are women. However, the United States government is attempting to upend that understanding and culture as a whole. Now, before we get too upset with the craziness of our day, let me encourage you this morning that God's design was written into the very fabric of creation. And it will always still call out to the world as that which is right and good and normal. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul speaks about how nature and creation declare the design of God. He says this, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Essentially, this text tells us that all of nature and creation points to the reality that there is a God, but it also points to the reality that this God has a design for things in the way that he has set up the world. And in fact, if you look a little bit further down in Romans, in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, you will see that those who attempt to thwart or mess with God's design, that there's a day of judgment coming. It says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous God of judgment. Church, God's design for the family, God's design for gender, God's design for sexuality, God's design for all things has always been right, will always be right, will always lead to humanity's greatest flourishing and never has to be apologized for. However... That does not mean 
that we as believers will not face difficulty as we attempt to remain faithful to God's design. What I've found as a pastor is that many Christians today are asking questions like, Pastor Zach, what is the world coming to? The world's getting crazy. What do I do? Or, Pastor Zach, I see where our nation is heading and I, or our culture is heading and I get angry. How should I respond? Or even more, I see mamas and dads saying, Pastor Zach, I'm worried for my children. How can I prepare them on a day like today where we rightfully lift up something that is so clearly inside of God's design like motherhood it would be irresponsible and almost hypocritical to turn a blind eye to such cultural upheaval so today's not like a typical mother's day but I would say to you what I believe is that most Jesus-loving mamas and daddies here this morning are less concerned about a feel-good message about mamas and are more concerned about how to remain faithful to Jesus in the days and age in which we live. And so that being said, the title of my sermon this morning are what are Christians to do when God's design is under attack? As I met with the Lord this last week, I felt like God laid five things on my heart that I'm going to bring to you today uh, as suggestions. First this morning, if you're keeping notes, our first action when God's design is under attack is that God's people must research God's design. When I mention researching God's design, I mean that God's people, we should be able to know and justify biblically and intellectually what God's design is. You know, in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31, Jesus was asked the question once, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus responded saying, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, here in this passage, Jesus points to basically four different ways that we are to love God. We're to love him with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. Now, what I have seen over the years is true in my life, it's true in others, is that most of us are more naturally inclined to love God in one or two of those ways, and then we kind of have to discipline ourselves in the other ways. Now, we're, we're called to love God in all these ways, but in some areas, we're more naturally inclined. To those of you who are more emotionally driven, it might, you might find it easier to love God with your heart and with your soul. You're those people that when it comes time to pray or listen to worship and sing, man, your heart is moved. You feel it deeply. And so you enjoy worshiping God in that way. For those of you who are more intellectually driven, you find it easier to love God with your minds. You're the people who find it easier to read and study God's word and to take deep dives into understanding the cultures and situations of the biblical world. And then there are those of you who are more service-oriented. You are more inclined to loving God with your strength. You're the first people to sign up to serve, to do something, because you, you, you sense God's pleasure and goodness as you serve and do things unto the Lord, as you volunteer. Now remember, all of these are equally important. We're called to all of them. But in the day and age in which God's design is so under attack, I want to say this, that we all need to focus in more on loving God with our minds. We need to be able to research and understand God's design and his plan according to the scriptures. Like we said a few weeks ago, our feelings and our emotions 
can lead us astray, but God's word must be the foundation and the guide for our lives. Let me say this. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a theologian or a pastor. But all of us should be able to point to God's word and show his design for all things. Let me give you a little hint on a place to begin that research and that study. If you've ever lost something, it's always easier to retrace your steps, to go back to the beginning, to go to the last place that you had it in order to be able to find it. And the same is true for us today. In, in order for us to recover God's design, you got to go back to the beginning. you got to go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Go back before sin entered the world to find the foundational truths about God's design. If you look at Genesis 1 and 2, you see that it shows us that God created us as two genders and that every one of us is either male or female regardless of your feelings or choice. Genesis 1 and 2 shows us that God designed marriage to be exclusively between a man and a woman. In Genesis 1 and 2, it shows us that God designed sexual intimacy to be expressed only inside the bounds of heterosexual marriage. And then if you look at Genesis 1 and 2, you will see that God loves children and that the greatest environment for the flourishing of children is to be raised in a home with a husband and a wife, a mother and a father. Now, let me take a time out here. Now, there are children who grow up in situations that are outside of that. You may be, we may have some single moms or single dads here this morning or, or, or other broken situations like that. Listen, just to say that your child is not growing up in that situation does not mean that your child is doomed. Man, God sees every child's soul and he draws near to them. The Bible says that he is seeking to draw people to himself. But that being the case... God's design clearly shows us that the best environment for a child is to grow up with a mom and a dad. And then Genesis 1 and 2 shows us that God designed the role of the father and the mother to be the main source of authority in the lives of their children. Parents, I want to remind you this morning that your children do not belong to the state your children do not belong to the nation. I want to let you know that your children do not belong to the schools and they do not belong to their teachers or administrators, that your children belong to you as the parents that God has given them to and nobody else can thwart that authority. You need to know that in Jesus' name. Church, in the day and age in which we live, where we see even the most foundational aspects of God's design being challenged, we need to be more researched and well-read according to Scripture than ever before. And we need to be, as Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 15, we must be those people who study to shew thyself approved unto God. So our first truth this morning is when God's design is under attack, we need to be researched. Our second action this morning is when God's design is under attack, is that God's people must personally reclaim God's design in our own lives. You know, anytime that God's design is under attack, we must be diligent to make sure that we have not thwarted on God's design, that we have not drifted, because we need to recognize that the enemy is desiring not only to influence and shift away culture as a whole from God's desire, but he is also attempting to do that even inside the church and even among Christians. None of us are immune. 
We need to remember that the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy and deceive everyone on this earth. And that becomes a temptation even among God's people. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4, Paul informs Timothy of a day when people will begin to turn away from truth of God. And in the context of what he's writing, he's writing to so-called Christians. This is what he says. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth, listen to this, and turn aside to myths. What is a myth? A myth is a fable. A myth is something that's not real. A myth is something that you proclaim to be true that's not really true. Does that sound a little bit like today? All over the world today, we are rapidly seeing Christian denominations, formerly Christian denominations, that used to honor God's design, turning away from the truth. Just last year, the head of the Church of England approved Anglican bishops to bless same-sex unions all over the world. It was actually encouraging to know that Anglican bishops in the continent of Africa came together recently to speak back to this archbishop to say, we will remain faithful to God's design. But the over, this is what you need to recognize here. So the way that the Anglican church operates is the head of the Anglican church is the archbishop of Canterbury. The present archbishop of Canterbury is Justin Welby, the man who recently crowned the king of England Last week, and so this brings it, so okay, I'm aware of that, Pastor Zach. Many Christians watched the coronation of the new king. And I saw many people comment on social media and other things about how much scripture was read. How many references to God and to Christ and how overtly Christian this service seemed. And they were encouraged by that. And I would say this, rightfully so, it's okay to see those things and recognize that. But what you also need to know is that the same man who was publicly professing Jesus and trying to give credence to some authority of God at the coronation of the king is also the same man who is leading his denomination to blaspheme God's design. You say, well, why does that matter? Let me tell you why that matters. The warning here is that blaspheming God's design does not mean you have to become irreligious. It doesn't mean that you have to stop going to church. Blaspheming God's design doesn't mean that you have to stop praying. And blaspheming God's design does not mean that you have to start use, stop using the name of Jesus. You can do all these things while at the same time be defiling God and his name and his purpose. And as the Bible would say, preparing yourself for the wrath of Almighty God. Let me give you a warning for Christians this morning about staying faithful. The temptation for us in this day and age will very likely not be on, on Sunday morning at Indian Baptist Church in Morris, Alabama. The temptation will very likely be not for you to accept the most overt advances against the design of God. But rather, as the advances get further and further one direction, what the temptation will be for most believers will be that the midline begins to move. That you will begin to make minor concessions over the design of God and excuse them because they're not so brash as others. When the eyes of God, they're just as hated. You may not be tempted to go to a homosexual wedding, but you might be tempted to like the photos on social media just to keep the peace. You may not be tempted to change your child's gender, but you may be tempted 
to justify cohabitation before marriage or even become more open and flippant to divorce. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul reminded God's people to remain faithful in the days of attack, and that meant not giving up an inch. He says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to what? Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Church, in the midst of a battle, there is no middle ground. We cannot make concessions. And in order to do that, we must make sure that we are holding God's design in our own hearts and lives. Third action, when God's design is under attack, is that God's people must then relate God's design to the next generation. You know, the Bible shows us and history shows us that one of the main ways that God's, that one of the main ways that, that the enemy attempts to move God's people away from his design is by influencing the hearts of children. And it doesn't take much to look around the day and age in which we live and to recognize that the enemy is making a full on assault against the next generation. We know that liberal states all over America are mandating that children be taught the normalization of families that are outside of God's design, of gender titles that are outside of God's design, and sexual expression that are outside of God's design in our public schools, and not even outside of God's design, outside of the weight of history of normalcy and just goodness for the mind and the souls of people. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, reminds us that it is our responsibility as parents and the church, but parents first, to shepherd the hearts and minds of our children, saying, train up a child in the way he should go. On Mother's Day, we need to be reminded that God has given that responsibility to parents to mold and shape the hearts and minds of their children to celebrate and accept God's design. And I want to say this this morning, families and parents and mothers today, that in the day of attack that we are in, to not be intentional to train your children towards God's design is admitting defeat. We are either going to be intentional or we will lose the next generation to the deception of God's design. Pastor Michael Catt made this statement. I believe it's true. Whoever wants the next generation the most will have them. Let me give you three ways today that I believe that can help you relate God's design to your children. Let me give you a few of these this morning. First, I would say live satisfied in Jesus. One of the greatest things that you can do for the next generation as far as in leading them to affirm God's design is for you personally not to just know a bunch of rules, but to know the God of all righteousness. To truly love and intimately want to walk with God. We can teach our children all of the rules about God's design, but if we don't point them to the God of all justice, if we don't point them to what it really looks like to walk with Jesus, then we can't expect them to follow him. One of the greatest things that makes the, your, your, personal, uh, your, your spirituality vital to make it real is not that you go to church and you do those things, but that you truly know God. That you've been redeemed by Jesus, man. That your sins have been washed away and that you follow him. That you love God. And I would say to you parents, that's what your children need to see first and foremost. They need to see you loving God. If faith is casual to you, it will be inconvenient to your children. Secondly, then I would say, 
clearly communicate God's design to the next generation from Scripture. So you've got to personally love Jesus as the foundation of you leading your children towards God's design. But then you've got to talk to them. You've got to communicate God's design to them. And you need to do that in two different ways. You need to do that in an organized way and in an organic way. When I mean organized, I mean like you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a way that we genuinely help point our children towards God's design. Here at Enon, one of the ways that we're doing that is we have developed from Scripture 12 essential conversations that every parent needs to have regularly with their children. And what we're doing is the first Sunday of every month, we are emailing out to our whole church family and we're having them available here at the church to pick up in paper form. And they're just some scripture about uh, some truths in God's design, God's design for the family, God's design for sexuality, God's design for work. I mean, just uh, God's the, why, why, does, why is sin in the world? Just some basic conversations. And we're giving you some prompts on how to have these talks with your children. Let me say this to you, friends. Use those. That's why they're there. Take advantage of those. I would say this. Do not forget and do not let the enemy deceive you to think that your voice doesn't matter. Your voice still matters more than any other voice in the lives of your children. You need to do that in an organized way, but also in an organic way. You know, one of the main things that we do as parents is we do take time to guard our children from the deception of the enemy But from the very first Christians, children will see things that are outside of God's design and you can't help that happening. But what you can do is that you can take those opportunities as teaching moments. When you see something that is outside of God's design and you recognize that your children have likely seen that, or maybe you even discern drawing their attention to it, then you can teach them and just basically simply let them know that this is right or wrong in the eyes of God. Just this uh, last week, Kimberly and I were on vacation with our oldest, uh, Ella, in New York. Let me say something to you. I had plenty of organic opportunities to point our children to things that were outside of God's design. Probably one of the uh, ones that I remember the most was... We went to a Broadway show. We wanted her to be able to experience that. We went to go see Aladdin. And in one of the booths along the side, directly across from us, uh, was a man dressed as a drag queen, very overtly, very flamboyant in that moment. You couldn't miss this opportunity. I had seen Ella's eyes go that direction. And during the intermission, I took a moment. I said, hey, babe, did you see that man across there? You know that's a man dressed like a woman. And then I was able to lovingly speak about how we should pray for that person because that person's so empty on the outside that they are defaming and trying to, to, to do something on the outside that just draws attention And they're broken and lost, and we need to pray for that person. But at the same time, I needed to let her know, God does not approve that. Friends, let me say something to you. Very simply, just having conversations with your children. And that's not popular today. It's taboo today to say something is not right. It is still right in the eyes of God. It is your requirement as parents in the eyes of God to tell your children what is right and what is wrong. In the eyes of God. And then thirdly, protect your children from the normalization of things that are outside of God's design. Parents, it should be our hopes that one day our children will be able to know and follow and celebrate God's design regardless of what the world around them might be doing. However, 
Until that day comes when we launch them into the world, we are called to be shepherds and spiritual authorities in their lives. And that means, at times, protect their minds and their souls from being influenced by things that are outside of God's design. Two major ways that you can do that, protect them, is number one, you need to mitigate as best that you can to don't allow media and images into your home that show as normal things that are outside of God's design. If you're watching shows that depict characters living in situations that are outside of God's design, if we're glorifying celebrities and people that are living openly outside of God's design, then we are normalizing it. And what our goal as parents should be is to keep to guard that within our children that recognizes something as abnormal. You know, in the design of God, children recognize that it's not normal for a man to dress like a woman. Children recognize couples and marriages that are outside of God's design. It's that natural innate irk within us. We need to guard that as much as we can because we want them to still feel that. Also, don't allow your children to be in settings where they are in authority under people who are normalizing and propagating things that are outside of God's design. There may be a day, and we should pray for this, that the day when our children, if they are in submission to someone and they are put in a situation where they have to choose to either affirm and celebrate something that is outside of God's design or be faithful to God, that they will be faithful to God. We should pray that that's the case. But listen this morning, church, it is our responsibility as parents to guard them from having to make that decision until they are old enough to make it. So that means in school settings and teachers and these things. And again, praise God for the the administrators and the schools we have in our area where that's not so much of a struggle. But in those days, if that day ever comes, we have to be willing to say no in Jesus' name. We will guard our children. Joshua 24, verse 15. We must pray the prayer of Joshua that says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Our fourth action when God's design is under attack, is that God's people must reflect the goodness of God's design to the world around us. Church, this is our opportunity. The darker the days get around us, the more opportunity we have to shine the light of Jesus and the truth of his world because God's design always leads to humanity's greatest flourishing. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let me give you a couple of ways that you can reflect God's design. First, you can reflect the goodness of God's design by your actions. Church, this is the easy part. We reflect the goodness of God's design by simply living and doing things according to God's design and show the world that it's good, that it's right. In a world that is confused about marriage, every time a married couple loves each other well before the world, it is a witness to the goodness of God's design. One of my favorite things in the world is to take a picture of me and my wife smooching and put it on Facebook. I love it, okay? My second favorite thing is I probably just smooch my wife in front of my kids. That's even better, you know? It celebrates God's design. In a world that is confused about the family, every time a husband and wife bring a new baby into the home, it is a witness to the world of God's design. 
in a world that is confused about things as simple as gender. Every time somebody lovingly says, I am a woman because I am a female. I was born a female. I'm a man because I was born a male. It celebrates the beauty and simplicity of God's design. Listen to me this morning, church. Our children long for this. We're we're making the world of children today the scariest place in the world to live. We're asking children to decide at early ages if they are a boy or if they are a girl. God's design splits through that and it speaks peace to the soul. This is how you were created. There's some things you may have to worry about in the world. That's not one of them. And then secondly, God's people reflect the goodness of God's design in the world, not just by our actions, but also by our words. Now, as much as we would like to skip this part, (laughs) we would love to just go out in the world and say, man, I'm going to point people to Jesus by the way I live, but I'm I'm going to do me and everybody else do them. You know, that's not the way the scriptures called us to live. We're called to engage people, to build relationships with people. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul speaks about how we are supposed to be lights to the world around us. And in context, he's talking primarily about our words. He says, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Does that not sound like today? This is what it says, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Probably one of the most confusing questions for Christians is how they should interact with people who do not claim to be followers of Jesus who are living outside of God's design. I find Christians regularly asking questions like, how do I approach the same-sex couple living next door? Or what would God have me to do with the transgender person in my classroom or in my office? I believe that most Christians know that we're supposed to love everyone But we also know that we're not called to affirm a lifestyle that is outside of God's design. And so because of that, we're afraid of confrontation. And so we avoid people altogether. But we know that's not right either. And so how do we deal with that? These are real questions we have to ask. I remember when Kimberly and I moved into a new neighborhood in Arkansas. And I was meeting my neighbors. And the man right next door to me was coming out to his car. He was a nurse. He was a nice man. He worked at Children's Hospital there in Arkansas. And I introduced myself to him. And then he said, well, wait right here and let me go and get my husband. And I will introduce you to him. Listen, these conversations are happening and they're real. We don't have to be afraid of them. God's Word gives us guidance in these things. So let me give you a a few thoughts on how to deal with situations like this very briefly and we're about to close first I would say in every situation when called upon always affirm God's design Ephesians 4 25 says therefore laying aside falsehood speak truth each one of you with his neighbor it's never right to flirt or to change or to fudge on God's design when you have to, when you're in those situations you have to always affirm God's design let me say this though you can use discernment in that you don't have to walk up to the person that you meet for the first time and say, hey, my name is Zach, and I want to let you know my views on marriage and sexuality and all these things. You know, how about just introduce yourself? You know? Be kind. Be nice. But then in those moments, know that it is always right, and it's always required of God's people to affirm his design. Secondly, I would say share Jesus with people who don't follow Christ. The same-sex couple next door, the transgender person in your classroom that doesn't know Jesus according to the Bible is lost. You know what lost people do? Lost people act like lost people. And their main problem is that they need Jesus. 
Share the gospel with them. Tell them, man, that we're all lost. The Bible says we're all searching for meaning. We're all searching for for something to satisfy. And Jesus says he is the bread of life. He is living water. and He can wash us and forgive us of our sin if we receive him. And then I would just say thirdly, if people claim to follow Christ who openly live outside of God's design, we are to lovingly rebuke them. The Bible talks about in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, it says, my brethren, if someone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. My responsibility is not to just walk around rebuking lost people for individual sin. I need to share Jesus with them. My responsibility for those who do know Christ, if they claim to know Jesus, then I'm always to point them to God's design. Church, this is not easy. But for the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of those souls in whom we come in contact with, we cannot let those who claim to know Jesus but defame God's design go unchallenged for the sake of their own soul. And then lastly this morning I would say our fifth and final action when God's design is under attack is that God's people must remain faithful no matter the cost. You know, already in our nation, we're finding that people being faithful to God and God's design is costing them. It's costing Christians their financial security. It's costing some Christians their businesses. It's costing some Christians their reputation. And Jesus made it clear that these days would come. He said in Matthew 5, 10 through 13, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Church, the likelihood of persecution is coming for those of us who know Jesus and remain faithful to his design. Theo Hobson, a great thinker, once talked about the steps that are needed for a cultural revolution to take place. I want you to listen to this. This is our day. Step number one in a cultural revolution is that that which was once condemned begins to be celebrated. Things that were once considered wrong are now considered right. But then also, the second step is things that were once celebrated now must be condemned. It's basically things like thinking that, the, that, that God has a design for sexuality. God has a design for the family. God has a design for your gender. That that used to be celebrated, now that's condemned. But this is the third step, and this is really important. The third step to a cultural revolution is that those who will not celebrate are then condemned. And that's the day and age in which we live. Let me say this to you, churches. I prayed leading up to this message this week. I said, God, where do you want me to close our time together? And I felt like the one thing the Lord wanted me to remind us to pray for is to pray, oh God, give us courage. God, give us courage. You know what? We don't like the word courage. We don't talk about it a lot because courage identify a struggle. And we don't like anything that's hard. Let me say something to you this morning, church. To be faithful to Jesus, it's going to be hard. The Bible says in Revelation 21, it talks about those people who will endure judgment. It lists a whole big list of sins. You know one that's in there? The cowardly. Those who will not stand and honor God. I would say today, church, we've got to pray this morning. Oh, God. Give me courage. Now, that's all of us this morning. 
But since it is Mother's Day, I do want to give one final word to all of our mothers this morning. As I ask our instrumentalists to come, Brother Ken's going to come, Miss Tracy. I want to give one final word to all of our mothers here this morning. The Bible and the church is filled with stories of women. Women who did incredible acts of courageous things to honor God. Man, you read the Bible and you got stories of Deborah. You got stories of Jael. You got stories of Priscilla. You got stories of Lydia. Man, you look through church history. You've got stories of, of women like Amy Carmichael and Lottie Moon and, and, and Annie Armstrong and others, man, who have faithfully served and honored God at the cost of even their own lives. And when I think about mamas here this morning, you know, the first thing that I think about today is not just the softness and beauty and tenderness that God has given you in your design. That is there, absolutely. God created you that way, and it's beautiful. But the first thing I think about on Mother's Day is I think about your courage. I think about your strength, and I think about your tenacity. There's not a mother in this room that I think would hesitate one moment to lay down her physical life for the physical and emotional safety of your children. Listen, there's nothing in this room that is more fierce and a thing to be feared than a mama who is on a mission. God has given you that great courage and it is needed today. I want to challenge you mothers this room to be willing in the days ahead to muster your courage for the souls of your children and your grandchildren. God's design is under attack by the enemy and his primary battleground today is the hearts of our little ones. Ladies this morning, yes, your husbands are supposed to be the spiritual leaders in your home. And when the devil comes to your door, our prayer should be that he first meets the ready sword of the man of God. But I want you to know this this morning, that also inside the design of God, the next sword the enemy should meet in your, in your home is your sword. Some of you this morning, that may be the only sword that the enemy sees in your home, but it is no less fierce. Mamas, mamas, God put this in my soul for you this morning. I don't want to send you out of here on this Mother's Day with flowers and pendants. I want to send you out of here this morning with swords. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 to take up the full armor of God. Let me say something to you today, mamas, and you powerful women of God, children and daughters of Jesus. That armor's not just for the men around you, that's for you. I'm praying that on this Mother's Day, you know, often on Father's Day is the time that we call the men to the altar to be courageous. Let me say something to you this morning. Ladies, you require no less courage from the kingdom of God. Some of you this morning, God wants to call you up as soldiers. God wants to call some of you ladies, some of you mothers and grandmothers up this morning to be warriors. Maybe there's some mamas this morning who will begin to battle in prayer for their kids and their community. Maybe there's some mamas here this morning who will not be enamored with the drama of the schools and suburbia in this life, but be engaged in the gospel going to their children and to their children's friends. I'm praying today that God raises up some mamas who will make the greatest goal of their life, not just to raise up healthy, happy kids, but to raise up disciples and warriors for Jesus. And so on this Mother's Day morning, 
I don't want it to be all about fluff and I don't want it to be all about soft. I think God's got a word for some mamas this morning and he says report for duty today. God needs you. There's a battle and there's a war going on. And one of the biggest things we need today is we need some mamas who will call who will answer. And so this morning, our pastors are going to be up front. If you don't know Jesus today and spiritual things are foreign to you, I want you to know He loves you. He loved you so much He died for you. And if you would like to know more about coming to know Jesus, then you come. One of our pastors would love to meet with you. If you would like to become a member of Indian Baptist Church, you come. One of our pastors would love to meet with you. But I see it in my soul this morning. What if God was to fill this altar today with some powerful praying mothers and grandmothers that say, oh God, put me in the war. Would you come this morning, mamas? I want to ask you to stand. And as you stand, I want to invite any mama who would like to come and kneel at this altar to come and say, oh God, here I am. Here I am. Use me for your name and for your glory. Help me to be a soldier for your kingdom. And just call out to God. All over this room. Maybe some of you, you're walking in fear today, ladies. You need God to speak courage over your soul. Come this morning and just let us pray for you today. And say, oh God, call me up afresh and anew. And then our pastors will be up front. If you need need to join this church, if you need somebody to pray for you, you feel free to come and grab one of our pastors as we pray. So let's call out all over this room. And I'd say, church family, if you want to stretch your hands this way, and let's pray over these moments. Let's pray God raises them up.